To kind of make sure that we're all up to speed, uh, we are only a few Sundays away from making a move that is uh, the most significant thing we've done as a church since we started. Uh, we are uniting with Sherwood Baptist Church uh, and forming one, one new congregation. Uh, they are a group who's over in the Sherwood Forest neighborhood. Their uh, facility flooded and they have rebuilt it. But a part of what happened during the flood is most of their people got relocated. And so they've been trying to figure out now that they're rebuilt, how, what does the future look like? And God uh, connected us to them, uh, knowing that we have been looking for a place, and uh, we've also been praying about our future. And so it's, it, we've spent the last few months trying to figure out, are we the answers to each other's prayers? And God has confirmed that. So uh, both groups voted last weekend. Was it last weekend? I'm all out of sorts. I think it was last weekend. And it was 100% yes from both groups. And so we are making plans to make that jump. And the 18th of February will be our last one here. And then we'll make the move the next week. And so our Sunday nights are kind of focusing in a little bit on getting us ready. Things that we need to be thinking about and praying through and uh, just considering as we get our hearts and minds ready to go and make a move over there. And so I started last week in Joshua 1. And just kind of using, using the Israelites who were... It's not an exact situation. I, I understand that it's dangerous to make too many parallels sometimes with the Bible. But... Um, were, the Israelites were, they were experiencing this miraculous work of God. They were preparing to cross over the Jordan, to go into the promised land, and to follow God's lead in taking the land. And so we are preparing to go into this new season, and God is getting us ready to go and do something that's going to be really tremendous, but it's going to be a lot of work as well. And so as we're preparing... Uh, going through Joshua 2. So I'm gonna, we're going to do the whole chapter. I'm going to read a part of it and probably make some points. It'll be one of those kind of back and forth things. So let's just start at the beginning. Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Okay, so, so there's, a, there's a river that lies between where they're camped out and the beginning part of the land that they're going to go conquer. And there's a city in there called Jericho. So he says, hey, before we, we need to know what we're getting into. So he sent two spies across the river into the land. Kind of check out the city and see exactly what they're up against. Um, all right. So then uh, it says, then they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So they weren't very good spies. Uh, immediately the king finds out, like the king finds out. So they were not good spies, but that's okay. Verse 3, um, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where, they, where the men went, but pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that the, all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up water, the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Okay, so um, I want to focus in on the interaction between these two spies and this woman. And in reading through this, uh, just the first time the Lord just, He brought me right into the relationship, um, like, aspect of this chapter. He said, look, and I just felt like He just led me just right through this stream of thought that I bring to you tonight. They hear these two spies, and here's this woman, and they were incredibly different from each other. Uh, they were men, she was a woman, which back then was a very, that was a, a thing, you know. Um, they were Israelites, she was a Canaanite. Canaanites were the enemies of the Israelites. The spies were former slaves who were trying to figure out how to be soldiers, and she was a prostitute. So they had different. Different backgrounds, different experiences, different, um, different lifestyles altogether. Uh, the spies were technically homeless, and yet she lived in the wall of one of the oldest fortified cities in the world. Two men, a woman, two Israelites, a Canaanite, two men who used to be slaves and now they're trying to figure out how to become soldiers. She was a prostitute. Uh, these guys had no home and were trying to figure out what, how that was going to work. And she had a completely stable situation living in the wall uh, of, of Jericho. Like, their circumstances were different. Their ethnicities were different. Like, everything about them was, was completely different. And yet, look at verse 11 again. After they have this exchange, she's like, look, we, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly who your God is and exactly what God has done for you. Look at verse 11. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. And here's the thing. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. There's all these differences. All these cultural things where they should have been either in anything to do with each other. There's all kind of reasons why um, at that time there, this interaction should not be happening. And yet she looks at them and she says, your God is God. And I know that. And I believe that. And that's all that mattered in this situation. Like they were unified under this one belief that God is God. And those other things were just, they're just descriptions. Uh, oh man. We alright? Yeah. See, we're moving soon, that's why. <laughs> this place is falling apart. Okay. Um, the, the, the differences between them... Became irrelevant in that moment. So hang on to that. Look at verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. 
and deliver our lives from death. She makes this really simple request. Like, based on this belief and trust in the character of their God, when you guys come through here, will you be kind to me as I have been kind to you? That's, that's her request. In other words, please don't kill us, because we know what's about to happen. Will you just be kind when you come through? She's counting on them, and counting on their kindness. Verse 14. The men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. That was their promise. So yeah, we'll deal kindly and faithfully. We'll honor your request. You're counting on us to come through and be kind and faithful, and we promise that we will do that. Verse 15. She let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. She said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you've made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. You shall gather into your house your father and your mother, uh, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. If, but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So they developed this plan. They're like, okay, here's, here's what we'll do. You tie this red cord in your window when we come through, we'll make sure no one in that room is harmed. Now this plan, think about what this plan would require though. Of course it required, like they, they made a promise and they were going to keep it. And they developed like an intentional way to do this. But they would have to go back and tell the entire army of Israel this really important detail. Like when we, when we invade and however that's going to work, and if you know the story about Jericho, it, it went all kinds of ways they were not planning on it going. Um, but everyone in the army had to know, hey, we're, we're here to do this and this and this and this, and the one window with the red cord in it, no one gets harmed. The whole army had to know that detail and be on board with that in order for that promise to be carried out. There had to be an intentional plan to be gentle and faithful with her and her family when they came through. It had to be communicated and reiterated. And you had to be willing to stop a soldier who was going in to try to harm them. I mean, it would require so many things 
And yet that's what they did. Let me read to you Joshua 6.25, which is the account of when they actually go into Jericho. It says, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she's lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So they kept their promise, which means they went back. They said, this is the plan, and this is going to happen. And they went to Joshua, and they were like, hey, dude, this needs to happen. He was like, yeah, it does. We're going to do it. And they did it. And if you've traced the lineage of King David, this was his, wound up being his great-great-grandmother, who's also in the lineage of Jesus. And so if you're a fan of seeing how Old Testament New Testament connect, there's one. This is one of Jesus' ancestors here we're talking about. So I read through that story and I couldn't I just couldn't get away from the the tie to what most of our dialogue has been about as a church is how do we as Living Hope how do we go in unite with this other group that's like 40 45 people how do we go over there and honor them to borrow the language how do we go in and be like gentle and faithful with them. They are counting on us. So Rahab was counting on these guys to fulfill their promise. And in a sense, the folks at Sherwood are counting on us to come in and, and not just push them to the side and do our own thing. But they're counting us to say, well, you said you wanted to make a family, so let's make a family. You, know? like, you said you wanted us to be one, so let's be one. You said you want us to work together to reach the city, so let's reach the city together, you know. And I feel like the Lord just impressed upon me, like, hey, uh, much like these spies, you're going to have to have a really intentional plan that is well communicated, and that everyone is praying through and wrestling through and is like understands what we're trying to do. And so then I circled back around to the differences between them. And when Sherwood first came to us, um, a part of the description of the congregation was like, as as their pastor, his name was Bruce Worrell. As Bruce was ex- like describing the congregation, it sounded very different than us. It sounded like there was going to be um, like a lot of like diversity on their side, and the potential for diversity in that part of town. That is not maybe the case with us, but in the best possible way. Um, and so, as he was describing them, I was like, oh man, that would be amazing to join together with a group that's like already diverse in ways that's different than how we're diverse. And between our different diversities, we make a whole bunch of diversities, and that is a beautiful thing. And as, and as I started telling, telling the elders, they were like, oh my gosh, are you serious? And then started to you know, bring uh, like everyone else into the loop, and we started to talk more, and everyone's like keeps getting drawn back to the people factor. And I was so proud of that. Like, and not, not in a prideful way, like, in a, like, I love the fact that people's responses really weren't like, well, tell us about the building and how many square feet is it. And it wasn't about what are we going to get in, a, in like a material sense or a facility sense or anything like that. It was like, tell us more about these people. Tell us more about, like, what they're like and what are they, what are they, where are they from and what are they, like, how do they approach ministry and, and what are, you know, all those kinds of things. And so... Here we are, trying to figure out how do we relationally push, like, do this thing, push this all together in a way that is honoring to them. Now, we, there are more of us than there are of them. 
And for the most part, we're doing a lot of things. We're going to be doing a lot of things the way that we're used to doing them. Like it's our, it's our form of government. It's our church constitution. It's, uh, it's, it's our philosophy of ministry and that kind of stuff. They're becoming a part of that. And it would be very easy to just push them to the side, to dupe them into some sort of agreement. And then when we actually come through, like think about it, like these guys, they could have, they could have just killed them, you know. Once they were safely back on the other side of the Jordan and they got the information that they wanted and they were out of harm's way, they could have been like, what, what, about, what about the promise you made to Rahab? I oh, don't worry about that. She's super different from us. It doesn't really matter. But no, they're like, no, we, we connect with her because we believe the same things about God. So she's one of us. Therefore, we're going to keep this promise. And for us, we will not be, this will not be one of those stories that people tell. Like, yeah, and this... This kind of younger church came in, and they, they didn't care anything about the people that were there. They didn't care anything about the ones who actually like built the place or rebuilt the place. They didn't care anything about them. They just took over and bullied those folks out of the way. And it's just another case of like church people just being mean and stupid. And one more reason why nobody really wants to get involved in church. Those stories are written a lot. That will not be this story. And it, just, it won't happen. So how do we but how do we do that? Like how do we make a plan for that? A part of that is going to be us just praying and coming forward to the Lord and saying, God, what's what's my role? Like individually, what is my role in helping us uh, embrace the diversity that's coming? Like how do we pray toward that? How do we talk toward that? How do we think toward that? Well, I'll give us four areas. How about that? I'll give us four areas of what I wrote down here is anticipated diversity. Some things we know, some things we're assuming. Because we need to honor them. And we need to honor them in word and in deed. We need to honor them with the, with the things that we say and also the things that we do. And I, I, don't, I know that like, I tend to be like an intense person. Someone, like, it's, it's Hank. Hank used to joke with me. He'd be like, remember, remember when, he's like, remember how funny you used to be? And I'm like, yeah, I do remember how funny I used to be. Like, I feel like the older I get, the more like intense or serious I get. And I don't know why that is. So I may sound really intense, but it's because I'm passionate. It's not because I'm like worried. Those are different things. Uh, if I was worried that we were going to be the, the bullies who write another one of those stories, then I don't think we would be where we are. Okay? So I'm very confident in us and confident in what God is doing. But I believe that we're supposed to be tuned into this. And that's a part of my role is to put this on the radar. And so hang in, with, hang in there with me. And if my intensity bothers you, just know I'm not fussing. I just look like it that way sometimes. Uh, I'm excited about this. But I do think it's very important that we be serious about it. Four things. First one, there will be generational diversity. We have not been very generationally diverse. What I mean by that is that we don't have very many people among us who have, like, adult grandchildren. We don't have people um, that are, that are um, like, in their 70s, 80s, 90s. We, don't, we have not had that. That's not who God has brought our way. It has nothing to do with, do we want that? And I know that's a fact, because that was one of the things that got the most little, like, quiet applause from people. It's like, yeah, they're mostly, they're mostly senior adults. I was like, yes, finally. We're super stoked about that. And... Um, so there will be there will be diversity there. We have a lot of uh, like 
Couples with young kids. That's like the biggest part of our like demographic makeup. And that's amazing. Um, but we're about to just expand that in terms of generational diversity. We are going to have senior adults. We're going to have people who are not grandparents now who are becoming grandparents. We are going to have people who have fully grown grandchildren who then their kids are having kids. We're, it's, just, it's going to get like completely awesome in that regard. And I know that we are excited about that. And I want us to make sure that even though we are different from each other in a generational sense, like if you are different from, from, from them, whoever them would be, that that is seen as a complete blessing, awesome, wonderful thing. There are, they have three staff members. And all of them are, are a part of this, this merge. Two of them uh, are older than me. And their combined pastoral ministry experience is like eight, over 80 years. Do you think that I need to learn from them? <laughs> like, Do you think that this is not an opportunity for me to sit down with a notebook... Because I hate when people ask you, like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. And you talk to them, and they don't ever write anything down. So, like, unless you're, like, Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, like, I'm like, write this down. I'm going to sit down with them with a notebook and basically say, tell me everything that you know. <laughs> tell me everything I need to know. Um, tell me your war stories. Tell me the biggest mistakes you made. Tell me the best things that you've done in ministry. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I've, I've had older ministers in my life that I have not taken advantage of their wisdom. And I think that that is a part of a, like a generational thing that we carry with us, where, where we kind of, it's, it's easy to dismiss anyone who isn't like us. So as a 41-year-old, it's easy for me to be like, oh, you're 23, oh, that's cute, you know. But then also be like, oh, you're 63, well, you're out of touch. People my age, they tend to do that. They tend to just kind of get within their like three or four year window each side and say, no one gets it except for us. And that's so, so short-sighted and wrong. And so I want to correct that in my own life. I want to pursue that, that wisdom, and I think that you do too. I, I can tell by your excitement. But we have to have a plan of how to intentionally do that in word and in deed. Um, a couple of examples of words. One would be never referring to anyone as old. I say that as a 41-year-old who has had plenty of college students uh, refer to me as old. Um, I understand that like that is like, you know, it may not be a term that you mean anything by. But they have a, they have a senior adult ladies Sunday school class. And uh, I, without really thinking, and definitely not meaning anything by it, I've been like, yeah, they have like an old lady Sunday school class and like a catch-all Sunday school class and whatever. And the Lord is like, yeah, let's back that up a little bit. Is that dealing gently and faithfully with them? Like you thinking that way, like speaking that way, speaking to other people that way, is that, is that what this is going to look like? I'm like, no, they can't. They can't. Because that's, that doesn't reflect my real heart. My real heart is like, how amazing. Can I be a part of the senior adult ladies Sunday school class? Like, I just want to sit there and just learn from them. So my heart and my words need to line up. And if I'm careless with my speech, I'm, I miscommunicate something that will be hurtful. I think it's amazing that they're looking at us and they're saying, yeah, y'all, come on. We'll, we'll even do things your way. You know, it's tremendous. So being careful with our words, um, talking with them about their lives, like creating space to sit down and say, I just want to ask you 
a bunch of questions about you. And never, never making it about yourself, though. You know? Like, ask them about their life, but then you end up t- talking about your life. Um, but like, no, I want to know, tell me about what you've been through. Tell me about your, how'd you come to know the Lord? How'd you get to Sherwood? Were you there? What was it like with the flood, with the rebuild? You're asking all these questions about their lives. Um, to ask for their opinion and their input. To go to them and say, hey, you raised three kids. And they all love the Lord. Like, how did you, how'd you get that right? Can we sit down sometime and talk more about that? Asking for input, asking for wisdom, being humble enough to be teachable by people older than you and people younger than you. I spent uh, an hour with the youth group uh, before this tonight. Well, that's part of what we talked about. Paul tells Timothy, hey, don't let them look down on you because you're young. You set an example for them. That are we, are we ready to learn from generations older than us and younger than us? Are we that humble and teachable? And can our speech and the way we talk to them and talk to each other and talk about each other, can it be consistent with our belief in our heart? And I'll also add in the, in the word part, thanking them. Just shower them with gratitude. Because it says a lot about them that they're willing to do this. Uh, this doesn't happen very often. As far as deeds, I just wrote down simple things like parking far away from the building. Like, don't hog the spots closest to the building. Come on. Like, leave those spots for them. Leave those spots for guests. Uh, letting them find their seats first. That's their, it's, in, it's their building. It's their sanctuary. And I know it's going to be our sanctuary. I get that. But let's just, like, maybe someone has sat in a certain place for a long time, and that's important. So, you know, first couple of weeks, let them, let, them, let them land first, you know. Then come in. That's honoring to them. Um, talk with your kids about running and playing, you know. Like, like maybe sit down with your kids and really say, like, hey, you know, there's, there are going to be some folks who are going to have some walkers and some, some canes and stuff like that. And, and so maybe, maybe, like, having that conversation and figuring out, um, like, when it comes to running and playing and that kind of stuff, how is that going to work going over there? How can we honor them, be faithful with them by being considerate in that way? That is not me calling anyone out or anything like that. I love the fact that our kids just like cannonball off this stage all the time. I think it's awesome. But going forward, it will be a different environment. These are ways that we can honor and be faithful with them. Even just going to visit. Going to sit with them, getting to know them, getting, us getting to know each other. Generational diversity. You've got to have a plan. Second thing, ethnic diversity. I will say this without causing any controversy, but I don't care what the president says. Anyone who walks in the doors of the church or comes into our lives, their ethnicity should not matter at all. It does not matter. That this, this, like the church is the outpost of the kingdom of God, you as a person, and also our buildings. So in Sherwood Forest, that is an outpost of the kingdom of God, that, that building, and anyone who comes in, it doesn't really matter. So when I say ethnic diversity, uh, you know, race is kind of a, like a man-made thing, but ethnicity is a real, that's like actual, you know. And so we know that they have, of their 40, 45 people, that they have a, a more diverse membership than we do in an ethnic sense. So right from the jump, like our diverse factor goes up a little bit. 
And as we minister together long term, we're hoping that that just continues to happen. That you get to the point where it's a, where the, the room looks like the city. And I know, again, it's the second, second thing on the list. And I know you're stoked about that too. Because that was another thing that got a little applause from people. That we're excited about, um, about the possibilities. You know? And we also recognize the fact that our congregation is made up of mostly the same like, people in an ethnic sense. At least like at face value. And so we're excited about that. And it is important that we go over with an intentional plan. And I was really, I was praying through this and I was like, Lord, what a touchy subject. Am I supposed to say something about the president? And I was like, yes, you're supposed to just acknowledge that, okay? Um, that, that ethnic diversity is something we embrace because the kingdom of God is ethnically, is ethnically diverse. So what do we do about that? I think... The, I think there are, are lots of points that can be made. This is obviously a whole sermon series in and of itself. I'm not going to try to like sum it all up. Let me just tell you one thing, though. One thing on the list is I think it's very easy to dismiss this as something that you will not struggle with because you do not feel like you bear, like you harbor any sort of like ill will against anyone that looks any different from you or anything like that. It's very easy to be like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm all about ethnic diversity. I only have to like pray about that one. And I think that that's the trap. In a lot of ways. Um, and I think it is important for us to ask the Lord, how can I help embrace the ethnic diversity that we are entering into and to create a culture where that is immediately sensed when people come through the door? You know? And some of that, I believe, is, it involves like thinking what it, what it is like for other people to come in. You know? It's a very, very easy thing to dismiss. And so while I don't, I'm not going to give a bunch of examples because I do think I'll be here forever and I think they could get really touchy. Uh, this is one I think that applies differently in different people's lives and I, it just needs to be on our radar. Okay, I'm not scared to talk about it. I just think it's like a, it's just a deep topic. But if we don't go in with a plan, it could, it could just be something we don't embrace fully. Instead of an amazing opportunity that God's giving us to look more like heaven. And so if we're like, okay, we want to look more like heaven, then we pursue that and we pray about that and we keep that on our list. Third thing. Socioeconomic diversity. Socioeconomic is one word. I had to look it up. That a a diversity existing between social factors... And economic factors and how those influence one another. So you might be like, what is in the world is he talking about? <laughs> I'll tell you a story that illustrates what I'm talking about. This is, this, this is a story called How I Met Debbie Haltom. <laughs> Debbie Haltom is, is a member of our church and she's not here. She normally sits in the same place until I know she's not here. She's not here tonight, but I did get her permission. I went on staff at Parkview Baptist as the college minister, and I went on staff there when I was in my mid-twenties. And I was a college minister, part-time, worship leader, part-time. They kind of mashed them together. And so I was like the youngest guy on the staff at that point, and I just started into seminary and stuff. And so um, I could get away with a lot because I was young. Like They would just be like, well, he's a kid. He doesn't know anything, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, that just kind of got to be... A known thing that I was just kind of the young, 
the younger guy who didn't really know a whole lot. And so they didn't trust me with much, except for this thing called the ring. So joke's on them. So, um, and long story short, they, they would try to do this uh, fall festival thing and they would want candy to be donated for all these games and all that kind of stuff. And they were having a hard time getting people to donate candy. And so what they, they would make these announcements and they would say, please, next week, just pick up a, ba- a bag of candy at the grocery store and just drop it in the bin on your way to church. And no one was doing it. And so they came up at the last minute during the service and they're like, hey, will you make one more push for like candy? Okay, fine. So all I basically said was like, just told them what we needed to happen. And then I was like, hey, look, I don't want none of this off-brand candy. Like, I don't want something in a cellophane wrapper with no name on it. I want some name brand. I want to see some Snickers. I want to see some Milky Ways. I, want to, I just like ran through it. And because it was the end of the service and because I was the young guy and whatever, like every, people just thought it was funny. And so they all started laughing. And, uh, and I, so I, I just kept going, kept naming things, ruling things out. You know, and people were like, oh, that was the best announcement. You know, and the next week, floods of candy came in. And so the kids' ministry people were like, you are the candy announcer from now on forever. So next year rolls around, they do the same thing. So now, me, thinking I'm like a stand-up comedian, I'm like, oh, I'm going to like egg it up this year. So I go in and I do a much more dramatic announcement, and it just kills, man. It just kills. Hank, Hank was proud because I was funny. Um, <laughs> killed. And the youth minister, he, he like calls me or texts me or something. And uh, he, was like, he was like, hey, he's like, one of my youth parents uh, wants to know if she can set up a meeting with you. I was like, yeah, cool. And um, so Debbie, uh, Debbie set up a meeting with me. I never met Debbie that I, that I can remember. We sit down. I'm like, all right, what's, you know, what can I do for you? And in the, the most like honoring and uh, this, it was great. Like she did not yell at me or anything like that. But she said, you make the, you made the announcement about the candy the other day. And, and I, I know that you were just like, you were just being funny, you know, and that sometimes those cutesy little announcement things are what get a reaction out of people. And it's effective. She said, I understand that. So, um, but I need you to know what it was like for me. She said, I'm sitting there. My daughter is next to me. We are on a very limited income. I had already bought the off brand candy with no name on it because it's all I could afford on my budget. And my daughter who is 12 looks at me as you're making this announcement, as you are basically mocking uh, people on a fixed budget who can't, literally can't afford to buy name brand things. So as you are mocking us, my daughter is looking at me in a way that I never want my daughter to look at me. And I had to go home and explain to her uh, our situation. And then I had to go take that candy back and get some name brand candy because I wanted my daughter to not feel like we were the example of what you were berating in front of us. And she said, you just need to think about who's in the room. So I know Parkview is an affluent church. A lot of wealthy people. That's fine. That's great. But everyone out there is not in that boat. And if you want to be a minister, you need to know uh, that when you say those things, it has a deep impact on people. And you need, to just, you need to be careful with your words. And I could not be more grateful for that conversation. Um, 
And that was enough years ago now to where I've given Debbie lots of reasons to not be a part of this church. Uh, I thought right there, I was like, I'll never see this lady again. And yet she's one of the greatest people in the world to me. Um, that is what I mean by socioeconomic diversity. Is that there, there will be a wide, a wide range of income and lifestyle. And uh, social and cultural things impact spending like that, that's like a real thing that happens. And so what I was doing back then with that candy thing is I was being, I wasn't, I never would have even thought about that. I was just joking. And yet I was being hurtful because I was naive to this thing that I'm talking about now. And so you fast forward to now and um, in terms of things that we joke about, things that we are on social media about, there's all kinds of ways where where we can either embrace the diversity and honor each other, or we can alienate each other very easily. Unintentionally, but easily. And so we may have really wealthy people, we may have folks who are not so wealthy, and we may actually push the extremes in both directions in the next couple of years. We just need to be very careful with our words and with our actions that we are honoring everyone. No matter where they fall on that spectrum. No matter what, uh, what that leads to in terms of uh, different things. Does that make sense? So I just want that to be on our radar as well. Um, last thing. Geographic diversity. What? What is that? Here's what this means. So we've been, we're at Parkview for two years, we're at BCM for four years on campus, we've been here for six years now, amazing. And now we're moving into Sherwood Forest, our last and final move, hopefully forever, and uh, now we have this kind of neighborhood also. Because we've kind of hopped around, uh, that has never really given us a sense of like geographic, like, like GPS coordinates of like where's our church really targeting you know, and so what that's done is I think it's I think it's been tremendous that God has done has done this as we've moved around, we've have also like landed living wise in different places around the area, and so we move into Sherwood Forest. It's not like we're like ninety percent of us live in Sherwood Forest like neighborhood. We're moving into Sherwood Forest, and very few of us live in that neighborhood. So now we're one we're a church that gathers in Sherwood Forest. But when we scatter back out in terms of where we live and where we work and where we play and like all those different things, it's like this whole big mess of, of, of area. So your Prairieville, your Central, your Denham Springs, your Zachary, your Baton Rouge, your different parts of Baton Rouge. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And so our church covers this big wide area. And as we grow, we will have folks from all those areas, hopefully, coming in to gather with us, becoming a part of all the moving parts. But hopefully we'll also have people from that, like that neighborhood area gather with us. And so when we are together on a Sunday, and whenever we say the priestly blessing, we go, and we scatter out everywhere. Some are scattering far, but some are scattering just a few blocks. You know? That's awesome. We've really never had that in that kind of way. That kind of diversity, though, makes, makes it really important that we champion each other's communities. That we think it's awesome 
that people live in different places. And that people go to different schools. And that people have different patterns of life. We have to champion that in one another. And that can't ever be something where we, uh, where we put down another community or another school or another school system. You know? And so that's not really something that we've had to think about too much. And I think maybe at times we've been a little too thoughtless in that. You know? And so we need to be very careful as we go forward to champion each other's communities to be excited that, you, that, that we all live in different places and to encourage you to love where you live. Like that's very important. That's why our community groups are trying to dial into the places where you all live. That we are all about you loving where you live. And then when, when it's time to love Sherwood Forest, that we can come together to do that. There may be a couple of things throughout the year. We're like, hey, let's, let's really focus in on this one area because that's where we live. Around, that's where the church building is. But... We're not going to ask you to choose. We're going to ask you to do both. I think your soul is big enough to do both. But we have to champion that in each other. And um, there's another, another part of your story real quick, and then I'm, I'm going to wrap up. Um, this, was, this was when I first, no, before I went on staff at Parkview. And most of the people that led to this, this next story are all like at other places now. So this is really not about Parkview current. It's about Parkview like 20 years ago. Um, Parkview has a school, and they did this. Uh, they were like doing this big campaign to raise money to do something, and so they hired like a video crew to come in and do this video. They showed this four-minute video, four or five-minute video in the service, and the whole tone of the video, like the first like two minutes, were basically like how terrible uh, every other school situation in the whole world is, especially in the United States, and it was just. Dark, you know, like the music was evil sounding, and it was guns in school and drugs, and like all this, just all this, like, oh, like, like school is the worst environment for your teenager ever, you know. And then the music got happy, and the sun rose over the mountains, and it was like in Parkview. That's why we need this school, you know. And essentially, it was based, it was saying like, hey, if you're if you're sending your kid to any other school. They are going to probably get murdered or be on drugs or something terrible is going to happen to them. So we've created this like perfect safe environment. Don't you want your kid to go here? Why would you send your kid there when you can send your kid here? That and I'm not exaggerating as like that. That's not just how I took it. That's how the whole room took it. And my dad was on staff at the, the time, and this was part of you, back in these days. Like the choir stayed on the stage the whole time, and then the staff members sat up there too. So my dad's sitting in a wingback chair next to the other staff members. My dad's a middle school principal in a public school system. And this video is basically being like, he is a failure. <laughs> Why would you send your kids anywhere? And I remember looking around the room, and people, people left. And uh, it created like this really weird kind of rift. And it separated... Um, Separated us along a bunch of different lines. And I remember my dad just being like, why, why in the world would you take that approach in a church? Why can't you think it's awesome that you have a school that's great and also awesome that you have kids that are going 
to public schools and other private schools and parochial schools and military schools, boarding schools. I don't know if those are real things or just in movies, but uh, those, like, shouldn't we love the fact that, man, we're fanning out into all these different places every week? Why would you, why would you paint that picture? It was very hurtful to him. It was hurtful to a lot of people in that room. That youth group struggled with that because they already felt a division by school, and here was their church promoting that the same way. And that, that story came to mind. I was like, man, I would never want our, our church to, um, to do anything other than champion each other's communities and think, man, I think it's, it's so awesome that I live where I live and you where, where, live where you live. And I get to love my community in a certain way and you get to love your community in a certain way. And then your kids go there and your kids go there and your kids go there and your kids go there. And, go there, and yet we come together and then we scatter back out. Like, what a beautiful picture that it would be so easy to let to keep that beauty from having the impact it's supposed to have by just simply being careless with our words or with our jokes. And so I want to champion you wherever you live, wherever school you send your kids to, and whatever decision you're making. Uh, if you are praying and you're following God's lead in all those kinds of things, then I'm, I'm right there at your back. And the whole church needs to be that way. Whoever comes in the, in the door, they need to know, man, that church loves, loves you no matter how old you are, no matter where you're from, uh, no matter how much money you make and how you spend it, and no matter what community you live in, that place, that place is love because God is love. And I know how God feels about me by the way they treat me and by the way they treat each other. Don't you want to be that? Don't you want to be there? We will not be there by default. I can tell you. You don't relax into that. You don't just assume that's going to be the way it is. You come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I want to be a part of making that kind of oneness happen. So whatever is in me that needs to be corrected, that needs to sync up with you, I want to do it. Like, I'm, I'm in. And there are other things that could be on this list, but I just couldn't help but think, with the spies and Rahab, how they, man, they were so different, but they made a promise. They're like, we're united around this one belief, and we're going to honor each other. We're going to communicate it. We're going to be intentional. We're going to come in with a plan, and we're going to execute that plan. And it's going to be awesome. So where does this land in your life? How does it fit with you? I, I don't know. I think there's some corporate things that maybe we can, can do to ensure this happening. I think the first step was me just kind of throwing this stuff out there. Um, but I think the next step is for you as individuals. If you're married, then you and your spouse. If you've got groups of friends, I think it's time. I think we need to talk about it and not assume. Uh, but we make a plan and we attack it. And I think this is what Jesus wants. I think we're... I think we're a part of something special, and that's not just me doing the old preacher thing. Come on, guys. Like, I really think that something special is happening. And I think that God has built us and wired us up to do this with excellence and to do this in a way that people are going to turn their heads to it. And, uh, but I know we won't, we won't do it by accident, and I think he wants to help us form a plan. So uh, that's all i got to say. Uh, I hope that you receive it in the spirit, which I, I bring it to the table um, these are the things that we're all, I, I think, excited about. And so let's steward it responsibly. Um, let's stand together. Let me pray for us. God, I am so grateful to know that these things that we're talking about and 
that kind of unity, that kind of ministry to each other, that kind of whatever, whatever you want to call it, that to know that it is possible, to know that uh, it's not a stretch, you know, it's not a, an outside shot at that happening, that because of who you are, as, as the unifier, you can, you can make this happen. You can make all the different kinds of diversities that are in our future, you can make them incredible assets. You can make them in amazing reflections of what your kingdom looks like. You can give us the tastes of heaven in those ways. You can do something between these groups that gets the attention of a community and a city. You can do it. We can't do it. Not without you. And so, God, I look to you, and I ask that you help us to be humble. Humble enough to be able to to look at you and say, we can't do it. To know that we won't accidentally stumble into it. But that through you, with you, by you, for you, um, that's what our future looks like. God, we are grateful to be at this point in our journey and are looking to you to carry us forward. We love you. Pray this in your name.